From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey there to all of you listening on your mobile devices via the Conspiracy Show app and those listening on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes. And I thank you for your fine company. Uh, just a short reminder, Occulticon 2019 is coming. That's happening September 13th to the 15th up in uh, Holstein, Ontario, just about 90 minutes northwest of uh, where I'm sitting on the event Mythwood, sorry, the Mythwood event uh, campground and a uh, 61 acres, beautiful, beautiful spot. I'll be presenting Saturday the 14th and uh, other speakers that weekend include Scott McClellan from Carnival Diablo, Canada's oldest um, uh, traveling circus sideshow. He'll be performing his unbelievable paranormal show. Uh, Steve Santini and his exhibit of artifacts from the Titanic and other shipwrecks. Christian Dicadieu from Paranormal Contractors uh, and many, many more. You can camp out for the whole weekend or just stay for a day. September 13th to the 15th, Occulticon 2019. I'll be there speaking on the uh, the Saturday. To get tickets or more information, just go to Occulticon.com. Occulticon.com. My next guest may be responsible for inspiring a new U.S. House investigation looking into whether the Pentagon turned ticks into biological weapons. The probe is being pushed by Representative Chris Smith, a Republican from New Jersey, who cited a new book that claims military bioweapons specialists stuffed ticks with pathogens to cause severe disability, disease, and even death to potential enemies. House lawmakers passed an amendment to a federal defense spending bill last week that calls for the department's inspector general to discover if Pentagon scientists turned insects into living weapons between 1950 and 1975. During a debate on the House floor Thursday, Representative Smith said, quote, for years, books and articles have been written suggesting that significant research has been done at U.S. government facilities, including Fort Detrick and Plum Island to turn ticks and other insects into bioweapons, end quote. He cited, Bitten, the secret history of Lyme disease and biological weapons, which contains interviews with the late Dr. Willie Bergdorfer, who discovered the bacterium that causes Lyme disease and worked for the department as a bioweapons specialist. The book by Stanford School of Medicine science writer Chris Newby blames, or rather claims, claims Bergdorfer, and other scientists work to infect ticks, fleas, mosquitoes, and other blood-sucking pests with viruses causing human diseases. It also questions if Lyme disease was inadvertently spread by the experiments. Chris Newby joins me now. Hey, Chris, how are you? Fine, thank you. I've had a busy, exciting week. I'll bet. Now, um, to what extent were you aware that Representative... Uh, Smith from New Jersey had read Bitten and that would mention it in the uh, proceedings in the House of Representatives. Well, uh, about two weeks ago, I got a call from Chris Smith on a Saturday. You know, I just picked up the phone and says, hello, this is Representative Chris Smith. I wanted to tell you I really like Bitten and 
you know, I think I'd like to do an investigation into it. So it was a surreal event because it really validated the five years of research that went into the book. Uh, and to me, it wasn't conspiracy theory. I mean, there's certain things that are backed up by solid solid facts. And then uh, a few days later, it was just surprising that he had slipped that call for an investigation into the defense appropriations bill, which everybody in the world watches, you know, because it's a really important pool of funding. So then everything blew up because all of a sudden, you know, one person said, this is not a conspiracy. This possibly is not a conspiracy. This could be real and it's worthy of an investigation. And, and for many of us, you know, who, who toil in these uh, in this arena, let's say, uh, it is it is vindication. I mean, we've been sort of hinting at this and talking to people who have been hinting at this, and and uh, but now you all have it down, sort of chapter and verse in Bitten. Uh, first of all, take us back. I mean, the book begins really where it all begins uh, in terms of the United States and, and the outbreak of three strange diseases back in 1968. Talk to me a little bit about what happened. Well. Right around Long Island Sound, that's five states. That would be New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, uh, Rhode Island, and, and uh, Massachusetts, Cape Cod, sort of Martha's Vineyard area. All of a sudden, these three freaky new germs appeared. So uh, there was uh, the very first case of human, or the second case of human babesiosis in the U.S., and that's a parasite that usually only affects cattle. It can be carried by ticks. There was this little bacteria called a rickettsia. It's sort of it's from the family that causes the most deadly tick-borne disease, which is Rocky Mountain spotted fever. It gives you little spots all over, and uh, it can put you in a coma in 14 days. And there was an alarming number of cases of that in 68, 69, and 70. And then uh, then there was this other new mysterious disease, which they called Lyme arthritis and it gave people brain fog and swollen joints. So it was all quite unusual. So investigation started, and uh, Willie Bergdorfer, who was our probably our number one tick researcher then, was put on the case to investigate those three things. And so the book starts out, well, it, it talks about that investigation. If you look at the public story, it starts in 80. Willie Bergdorfer looked in a microscope at tick guts, saw the Lyme spirochete. Uh, it was a miracle. He, you know, That was what was making the people sick. But I went farther back you know, to 1968 and said there was three freaky diseases. It's unusual. It seems unnatural. Right, right. And, that and, three germs would spontaneously appear. Right. And, and Rocky Mountain uh, fever, uh, sometimes called black measles. I mean, uh, that 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 occurred in in Montana, you know, back in the uh, the nineteenth century when you know people were uh, pioneers were settling there. Uh, what what pray tell was the black measles or Rocky Mountain fever doing in Connecticut, New Jersey, New York? I mean, that's the big question, obviously. Right, right, and and so I traced that research project and. I mean, the book started when I I heard that Willie Bergdorfer said that he thought that outbreak was caused by a biological weapons release. He and and so then that started it because he was old. Uh, you know, he could be senile. I, I don't know what his motivations are. 
since then, as I started digging into the investigation, I realized he had been in the bioweapons program for two decades. So all of a sudden his cred went up on saying this thing because he was our lead tick researcher. He was famous because he just said that Lyme disease was caused by this Lyme bacterium, and here he was saying it was something else that I covered up. Right. And that and, was, as you say, that was uh, that was kind of discredited or dismissed by skeptics. They were saying, "Well, he's in the latter stages of Parkinson's, and you know, who knows what's what's going through his his mind? He's just delusional, or or who knows?" So it was kind of brushed under the the carpet or swept under the carpet. Yeah, but um, you know, uh, most of the book is, or maybe half the book is about Willie's life. Mm-hmm. You know, to exploring how he got sucked into the program in 1951. In the U.S., um, he really was a very good scientist, uh, not someone to weave tales for attention. Um, and so, you know, my, I lay out the case of the experiments he did, how it related to the larger strategy of the Pentagon. Um, I was totally surprised at how this tick-borne research program had been kept a secret for so long. And we will circle back and get into uh, yeah. Willie Bergdorfer, but I want to I want to get to your personal history because this story is personal because both you and your husband were bitten uh, by ticks, I guess, around Martha's Vineyard. Just tell me about what happened there. That was in 2002, and this is this ended up being the area where the original outbreak was, pretty much at Ground Zero, pretty near the infamous Plum Island. But we, my husband and I and our two boys who were in medical school, we went to a week-long vacation in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, We came back to California, and a week later we found we were sicker than we'd ever been in our whole life. Uh, And it turned out we had, uh, we had bitten by tick, been bitten by ticks. I didn't see them. Mine was behind my hair on the back of my head. I never saw it. And we had gotten two really nasty tick-borne diseases. One is the Lyme bacterium, and the other one was the babesiosis. That's the cattle parasite. It's very malaria-like. It attacks your red blood cells. So it took us a year and $60,000 and 10 doctors to get diagnosed before we finally found a Lyme doctor who knew what she was doing. And then it took five years to get over. So I was a I'm an engineer by training and a uh, science writer by profession, and I was just curious. It's like <laughs> I'm supposed to be in a really good area for doctors. How could they miss it? I mean, we had classic symptoms once you know once I realized what they were. Uh, how can the system be so broken? So I started uh, looking into it, and well, like your listeners, curious, open-minded. Uh, I did a film on Lyme disease called Under Our Skin. Yes, and. It did really well. It was Oscar semifinalist, but it really interviewed many you know, hundreds of patients and told the patient side of the story and showed it. It's a, a large epidemic of tick-borne disease patients were being abandoned by the medical system because whatever disease they had didn't fit the textbook description of what Lyme disease is supposed to be. So that started that mystery. Right. And then... Then I then then I've got this really good job as a science writer at Stanford. I've been there nine years. It's like uh, I'm done with Lyme. Uh, I'm moving on. Uh, do I'm going to do happy science stories? And then I got this uh, 
that this admission videotape from Willie Bergdorfer saying, yeah, I think Lyme disease is a bioweapon. And it was shocking. You know, I just remember sitting on my back porch and taking deep breaths. It's like the rumors had been there. This was direct proof from the scientist, a respected scientist, who had the most to lose. So I said, well, uh, this is going to be inconvenient, but I'm going to I'm going to follow this story through to the end, and that's how the book started. Right, and um, you do a wonderful job in the book, sort of explaining how these ticks operate. Uh, it's, it's actually quite chilling. You, you talk about how this one particular, the one that uh, uh, bit you, you know, they, how they they kind of. They stand up on their hind legs. They attach themselves to, a, say, a, a blade of tall grass. And they can wait there for days, weeks, or even months, you know, and, and are kind of probing the air with their their, their forelegs, uh, looking for, for carbon dioxide or, or some sort of, uh, you know, evidence that there's a, a, a mammal coming by. Just talk to me about how it, how it, how it bites people and how it infects people yeah so it's uh, a bug that's been perfected over 120 million years way longer than human beings have been here and they have perfected the art of taking a blood meal so they the deer ticks that bit us they were on the top of a blade of grass they sensed carbon carbon dioxide emitted from your skin of a passing mammal and when they do that, then they and they feel you brush up, brush up against the grass. They have these little, they breathe from little feelers from their legs. By the way, uh, they don't have a nose per se. So when you brush up against them, they have these little round sticky pads on the tips of their feet, and then there's two velociraptor raptor claws. So they just hook onto you with the sticky pad and the claws, and then they creep very slowly you know, up your body to find a warm spot with blood vessels near the the skin. Then they start this really sophisticated drilling operation that is just an engineering marvel. So they they have a three-part jaw, and first of all, they just start gently jawing there, so you won't feel it when their two sort of harpoon blades start digging a hole into your skin. Oh, lovely. And then they inject uh, two chemicals into the hole, one keeps the blood from clotting uh, so it doesn't scab over and the mammal's uh, body doesn't try to reject this invader. And then the other one is once it reaches a blood vessel, then it releases something into the bloodstream that suppresses your immune system for a week or more. And then the other thing you need to know is there isn't just Lyme disease inside these ticks. There could be many other diseases. There could be viruses, other bacteria like spotted fever, the parasites like babesiosis or babesia like I mentioned before. So those germs like get into your bloodstream and they have a head start because your immune system has been suppressed by the tick saliva and that's where you have the potential to get really sick because of what I call a germ gangbang on your system. Right, and I mean, there's a, a myriad of confusing uh, symptoms uh, that, that come along with this, depending, I guess, on where the, these pathogens hide out in your body, correct? Like it can present so many different ways, arthritis, uh, even Parkinson's, I'm told. 
Yeah, that would be maybe um, chronic Lyme or late-stage Lyme disease. Uh, well, that's not 100% proven with Parkinson's, but uh, clearly the Lyme disease bacteria invades your brain and can cause all sorts of freaky neurological symptoms depending on where in your brain it is, and it can cause heart problems, uh, tremors, twitches, uh, you know, brain fog, uh, inability to do simple tasks. So um, it's none of these diseases are really bad if you treat it right away, but the problem is that we don't have really good tests for the early stages when it can be cured cheaply and, and quickly. And you cite some pretty harrowing statistics, something like 43,000 uh, cases that, re- that, are, that we know of every year. That's the 2017 statistic. But you say it could be much, much higher, like on the order of 10 times higher. Yeah, that's the CDC's new estimate because they know they miss a lot of cases. And uh, they haven't been really that meticulous about tracking where the ticks are going and what the diseases are in the ticks. So 430,000 cases a year, that's over 1,000 cases a day. Uh, any way you cut it, that's, that is uh, an epidemic of incredible proportions. Yeah, it's more than AIDS cases per year, new AIDS cases, HIV AIDS cases per year. And yet these the people with the disease are sort of marginalized and minimalized and the establishment until Britain came out, has been trying to deny the seriousness of this epidemic. So, I mean, that's the good thing about the book, is I just think it will really raise awareness and make people think twice, like maybe we need to fund this, these diseases much more than we are. And uh, a, a particular concern as well are the, the, um, the post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome sufferers. Tell me a little bit about what that, what that is. Well, the, the people that can, the academic medical researchers who have specialized in tick diseases say, you know, Lyme disease is easy to diagnose, treat, and cure, and, but they don't have a, a test that really is reliable in the first month. So if you've had Lyme and possibly these other co-infections, you can become seriously ill after a few months, and then you're... The tests are, a lot of them are indirect tests, so they tie up the antibodies. Those are the things that defend, they attack the germs in your um, in your bloodstream, in your body. So you, you might not show up in the test, and then you go on to get really sick with this mix of dangerous tick-borne diseases. And so the mainstream academia, academia seems to be denying that those people really have an infectious disease or a combo of tick-borne diseases. And so a lot of them are, you know, they can't file for disability because they don't have a legitimate disease. There's no ICD-9 medical reimbursement code for chronic disease. And so they get put in fibromyalgia buckets or MS or chronic fatigue or arthritis, and they they get uh, they're given drugs that treat the symptoms but don't get at the root cause, which is, there are some germs in your body and you need to use antimicrobials to kill them. So this has created a huge controversy for the last 30 years. And uh, what I hope my book does is like raise awareness that it's not just Lyme, it's all these other tick-borne co-infections. And, oh, by the way, one of them might be an engineered germ, which would explain by why sometimes 
it's hard to cure these chronic entrenched infections in people. Then that would that you know the academia is calling that post Lyme disease syndrome. Right. Which I I mean anyone who's ever been told by a doctor they have a syndrome it makes them really mad. Exactly, because there's obviously, uh, as far as the, the the doctors are concerned, there's a uh, a component of psychosis uh, there. Right. Uh, we're approaching a break. When we come back, we'll we'll talk about Dr. Willie uh, Bergdorfer. Uh, I just wanted to mention, uh, heading into the break, that um, I sort of became familiar with. I mean, I knew about Lyme disease, but um, we had a. Uh, I had a, uh, a, an author, and a, I believe she was the editor of the Canadian version of Vitality Magazine, Healthy Fairy, on, and uh, she said that she contacted uh, Health Canada to, to find out information about the number of cases and um, was basically shut down and, and told it was an, a national security issue. Um, anyway, I just thought I would leave you with that thought. We'll come back and continue to discuss uh, Lyme disease as a biological weapon with Chris Newby right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with author Chris Newby, the author of Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. Let's begin talking about Dr. Willy Bergdorfer. He started researching this in 1980 or 81. You describe how he's basically you know, performing these little miniature uh, surgeries on these ticks and exploring the contents of their guts and so forth. So what did he find? Well, this is during the height of the mania going on around Long Island Sound in Lyme, Connecticut, about what is making these people sick. So he took ticks, and he would take a little tiny eye surgery scalpels and cut off the end of a leg and squeeze out the tick blood, which is called hemolinth. And then he would look at it under the microscope to try and find out, like, what is the organism making these people sick? So during this discovery, he found several organisms. You know, he found uh, nematodes, those are worms. He found rickettsias, and sometimes he found babesia. But the rickettsias, uh, that's the bacterium from the family that causes Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which is very dangerous. He thought that that was what was causing Lyme disease because it was in all the ticks around that area and almost all the blood taken from that original group of Lyme patients in Lyme, Connecticut. So he and the scientists at Yale were writing, in New York were writing back and forth, hallelujah, we think you know we've discovered the cause of Lyme disease. It's this little spotted fever rickettsia. And, but you know they wanted to make double-double sure, so there were a bunch of experiments, but then all of a sudden, Willie talked with a bunch of old military people. I have his phone log, so I saw that. And all of a sudden, everything about this spotted fever rickettsia, which I call Swiss Agent USA, just to give it a name, and uh, it disappears. It's never mentioned again uh, in any letter or paper. And so later when I talked to him, you can tell he feels guilty about leaving it out of a scientific paper because if you're a scientist, you, you you just put in all the knowns and unknowns because you never know if you're going, you know, if someone else will find that fact 
important later on. So anyways, this Swiss Agent USA disappears, and then all of a sudden a year later, Willie announces that the spirochete has caused all this disease. And so it's almost like the spirochete was unfairly blamed for Lyme disease, and, and that sort of sin of omission of the rickettsia is my hypothesis is that could be causing a lot of confusion with the Lyme controversy we have now because the scientists are thinking, well, it's only Lyme disease. Willie, this great scientist, said it's only Lyme disease. But what I'm saying is there's this other organism that's in the ticks, in the animals and the ticks and the people, and we're not even looking for it, and we don't even have a test for it in the U.S. that's right. commercially available. Now, Bergdorfer was uh, from Switzerland, and and um, take us back to his work in in uh, Basel, Switzerland, in I guess the late 1940s, because he was he was working with somebody there on this exact same sort of research, right? Right. He was working on this same type of bacterium that is caused by uh, that causes Lyme disease. It's a spire. It's called a spirochete, a Borrelia. So he was from a really poor family in Basel, and he he went to a lecture at a local university and was enthralled by this Geige scientist who traveled the world over fighting tropical diseases, and he just fell in love with that profession, and he went and got a Ph.D. in medical zoology, which would be sort of like entomology now, the study of insects. And so he specialized in soft-body ticks and spirochetes inside of them and how they kill people. And then he got recruited basically by the U.S. bioweapons program, and he moved to Hamilton, Montana, where they studied tick diseases and fell in love with a local girl and then all of a sudden realized that he'd been recruited into the bioweapons program and he was consulting to the headquarters of bioweapons, which is in Fort Detrick, Maryland. And that was a massive program almost as big as the Manhattan Project, just as secretive. They use the same rules of confidentiality. And his first job were infecting fleas with plague. That's the disease that killed like three-quarters of Europe uh, during the Dark Ages. And force-feeding ticks, uh, multiple dangerous disease bioweapons agents, and like trying to infect inject 26 different species of relapsing fever into animals to see which ones cause the most serious disease. Anyways, these were all like contract experiments from the bioweapons program and uh, you know, he he all of a sudden found him, he found the work interesting it's sort of a Faustian bargain he made because you know, he loved Hamilton, Montana it's beautiful, it's like Switzerland but without all the rules that <laughs> Swiss have. Right. And he had this local girl who couldn't leave the area, and he had a lot of freedom in the lab. I mean, he had to do these crazy, dark Fort Dietrich experiments, but, you know, he had his right. own assistants. He could do fun things on the side. I just wanted to back up a little bit, though. Okay. Uh, when he was, I guess it was sort of, the, it was the forerunner of the Nas- National Institute of the Health, of, of Health, the NIH, uh, that was funding his work at the, the Rocky Mountain Laboratory initially, correct? Mm-hmm. And 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 well, that that site is significant because that's really where they were. Uh, there was someone who was first studying uh, Rocky Mountain fever. It was at that 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 location back in the late 19th century. Is that 
Yeah, right, Dr. Ricketts. I mean, right. the organism was named after Dr. Ricketts, and he died of the disease he studied, by the way. <laughs> ah. So they set up this uh, this uh, the Rocky Mountain Laboratory on that uh, at that location, and uh, so now the NIH um, is is funding this. And what they're trying to do at this point, though, is is um, develop vaccines for for these tick borne diseases. Correct? Yeah. So it started out, you know, trying to mass produce, especially yellow fever vaccine for the troops overseas in World War II. And Vietnam and Korea War, Korean War. And typhus. And typhus, yeah, right. which is a horrible disease. Yes, yes. Uh, and then um, there's a kind of a fateful trip to uh, Alberta. So here's the Canadian connection. And uh, this is, I guess, when he really sort of figures out, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering correctly, this is when he figures out that the game has changed. Yeah, I mean, it's Suffield Experimental Station, which is in Calgary, and or near Calgary, and he goes there, and there's it's the leading um, insect weapons people from the U.K. and Canada, and that's where the U.S. realized, whoa, we're way behind in this entomological warfare program. So they were playing catch-up, and Willie, they were experimenting with Saren then, in an open field, and so, you know, that's when Willie realized, okay, <laughs> uh, I'm not saving lives anymore. I'm figuring out how to destroy them. But he uh, he stayed. I mean, he did, during his career, he had offers to leave, but he decided to stay. So it's, it's interesting, at the end of his life, he has a change of heart, and he lets, you know, pesky journalists like me into his home and shares part of the information, so... I feel like, in a way, he redeemed himself right. by finally coming clean. There was a scene going back to this uh, this lab just outside of Calgary, where he's walking through this field and he sees these. I think he described them as white mounds, uh, and then discovers that these are dead animals that had been exposed to what sarin gas. Yeah, so um, I I know they did open field testing. Of Saren at that time, I don't know if he actually was out there during that experiment, but I know he went out on the field and watched a demonstration. Um, I'm not sure exactly if it was Saren, but he did go out on the field because he talked about in his letters. He was a prolific letter writer, which is fantastic if you're trying to sort of uh, storyize a dry old Cold War story. So he had all these details that are fabulous about you know how cold it was there, how as he crossed the, bat- the border from America to Canada, oh, my gosh, they gave him such a hard time because he, he hardly spoke any English. He was German, and, you know, that was right after the war, and uh, they're not too into people named Wilhelm then. <laughs> ah, right, right, true enough. All right, we, uh, Chris, we're heading into a break. We'll come back, and let's talk a little bit about how... Uh, these pathogens were weaponized and used during the, the Cold War, for example, uh, Operation Mongoose uh, over Cuba and uh, and elsewhere. Back with okay. more of my conversation with Chris Newby, the author of Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sapp. 
Welcome back. Chris Newby is with us, the author of Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. And uh, this book is making news headlines because uh, it was cited by U.S. Representative Chris Smith, a Republican from New Jersey, um, as uh, you know, one of the reasons why he wants to push the Pentagon uh, to come clean about whether or not they were weaponizing ticks as biological weapons during the uh, the Cold War. And uh, Representative Smith uh, cited Chris Newby's book directly during the, uh, the session in the House of Representatives. Again, Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. How do we get a hold of the book, Chris? Well, it's available online pretty much everywhere, Amazon, um, all the the big chain bookstores, all the indie bookstores. Before and we, it's oh. available um, audio and Kindle and hard copy. Excellent. Now, uh, before we get back to uh, Dr. Willie Bergdorfer and uh, the Cold War, uh, since uh, the, um, the representative mentioned your book in the House, what has been the reaction to the book? I mean, are you getting now a lot of calls from... People in the mainstream media, or are they, they turning a blind eye? What's the reaction? Uh, mostly ringing off the hook, because the book had been out two months, and um, <clears throat> it was a mega hit amongst Lyme patients who have known something's fishy about Lyme disease. It's just so secretive in every way. you know. So when the book came up, they snatched it up like crazy and said, I knew it, I knew it. But mainstream media completely ignored it. Uh, it was frustrating but with one powerful congressman saying, hey, this book is well-researched, there's something there, there, and the impacts of this disease, like everything we've been doing for the last over 30 years, isn't working, so maybe there is something to it. So um, now it's just I have a lot of uh, non-conspiracy interviews, which is nice, because really my objective is to get this information out so we can get more funding and advance the research. Right. And now they can't ignore it, so... They can't. Right. They can't. So I, w- I would say once a news story gets out in social media, the story sort of spins in some really weird ways. Like uh, two really mainstream media sources like didn't even call me and quoted experts that didn't know, you know, didn't read the book. So that's sort of frustrating, but I guess that goes with the territory. Well, hopefully, you know, the uh, as this uh, congressional probe heats up, hopefully that'll hold uh, certain news outlets feet to the fire, and they will uh, they'll come a knocking. Now, uh, we were mentioning uh, the development of or the weaponizing of these pathogens uh, uh, or these ticks. Talk to me about what happened uh, during Operation Mongoose. This was during the Kennedy administration and their attempt to assassinate. Uh, or Castro, or at least disrupt the economy of Cuba. Yeah, this was a, a fascinating and random source that I ran across, but this guy was recruited stri- straight out of college in Texas for his aptitude with languages by the black ops CIA arm of the military. And one of his first jobs, and he said it, he he said he had done some really bad things in Vietnam, but one of his first jobs and the strangest jobs is they sent him out on a plane over the Cuban sugarcane fields, and when the pilot nodded to him, they he, they told him to open these two cardboard boxes and shake it out um, out of the door of the plane. 
so he opens the box and it's just filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of ticks. It's just like a Stephen King movie, right? So he screams an expletive and uh, dumps the boxes out the plane and thinks thinks nothing of it. He goes home. He has a four-month-old baby, and uh, the baby gets sick. They think, oh, it's just the flu. They go in. The baby gets They said, oh, it's just a virus. Come back later. The baby all of a sudden, like, turns into a, a rag doll and the baby's not breathing so they run him to the hospital and you know it just turns out that one of the ticks this is what he thinks one of the ticks that were got on his clothes he brought it back to the baby right after that and he was bitten and the the doctors that night said we don't think he's going to live but he did live and grew up to be an adult he's alive now and um you know he after that incident he called up his ops commander from the cia and says hey could this have been the ticks i mean could this have been this operation that got my kids sick and he goes burn your clothes burn everything you know so it it was obviously a lethal weapon they used the ticks with some sort of lethal, lethal weapon dumped it on cuba and, and anybody knows cold war history knows that there were there were many many ways they tried to harm Cuba's oh, yeah. economy and Castro. And Exploding cigars and dolphins with bombs. It gets it gets pretty absurd actually. We'll take another time out. Come back and uh, continue to delve into the secret history of Lyme disease and biological weapons with Chris Newby right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Chris Newby stays with us, the author of Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. Just a quick programming note. Next week, uh, author Don Jeffries, uh, you may recognize his name, the author of uh, Hidden History with a uh, foreword by Roger Stone. And uh, most recently, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, with a foreword by Ron Paul. He will be guest hosting uh, the program, and uh, his his guest will be uh, John Barber, who practically invented uh, reality television. You may remember that TV show, Real People. That was John Barber. And um, John is also a JFK assassination researcher of note, and he'll talk about the Garrison tapes. That's coming up next week uh, with Don Jeffries, guest hosting right here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Chris, at some point, um, Bergdorfer is in in um, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, uh, working in a lab. Take us there. What was he doing there? I mean, that was behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah, that's that's the most intriguing part of the story that I, I just hope, now that the book's out, I can carry on with that. But he, the U.S. military bioweapons program realized they're way behind on genetic engineering of bacterium, where you could um, grow them in tanks or, or vats and freeze-dry them and spray them over battalions of soldiers, enemies, or cities, enemy cities. Um, but they needed to learn the art of genetic engineering, and so in Bratislava, what was Czechoslovakia then, um, he he was there several weeks uh, studying under a master of that there, Rehasek, Josef Rehasek. And so it's really there where uh, 
they were both on other sides and different sides of the Cold War, and you could tell they were both told to sort of try to pick the brains of the other guys so that they could get secrets and sell it to their or share it with their respective um, people. So, anyways, Willie uh, was there. There was they they wined and dined him. They got him really drunk. I mean, he nor- normally didn't drink much. So, you know, it was sort of my hypothesis that he may have been compromised by the Russians then. Um, And that was just a low point in his life. He left his family behind for a year. Um, But he brought those skills of sort of mixing viruses and rickettsials back to the Rocky Mountain lab lab and taught the the people there that. And so, you know, I just, I mean, if you, you want to talk about the mysteries, it's like later on he told me that the Russians stole two virulent agents from his freezers. So if there's, and and he died with uh, a secret bank account that none of his heirs knew about, and he had a, a Swiss bank account with a lot of money in it, with no obvious explanation for where it came from. So one of my hypotheses is, or questions is, you know, was he compromised in that Bratislava trip? Um, was he a double agent? Was he a double agent? Right. He certainly was bringing information back, but did they turn him? I mean, he had intense money needs at that time, and then this Swiss bank account full of a lot of money. So were these samples, these biological agents that were supposedly, air quote, stolen from the Russians, did he sell them in a time of weakness? And, you know, could that be related to the outbreak around Long Island? So... That's the conspiracy angle that needs to be worked out. It right. may never be solved because, of course, that's a super secret program. And right. Neither side would want it out. Well, it just seems odd. I don't know if this was a, a, a situation where it was like keep your enemies closer. Uh, here you had Cold War adversaries working cheek by jowl in a lab behind the Iron Curtain. Um, in a, you know, while they're, they're supposed to be, I guess, cooperating, but meanwhile. There's this non-shooting Cold War going on. It just seems very strange. I know. It does. It does. Uh, so. how, okay, so just because we're, we're tight on time here, take us to Plum Island. How does this connect to Plum Island, this level, I guess it's a level four biolab? Yeah, well, the, uh, Plum Island isn't level four, but that's where we all did, where the government, not we, but the government did, anti-animal research. So they did have tick hatcheries there. They they studied livestock bioweapons like hoof and mouth disease, um, uh, fowl plague, and they did have a giant tick hatchery there. I think I just told you that. And um, so they had a Nazi called Eric Traub that sort of set that up. And the theory, the rumors have always been that this Lyme disease outbreak happened at Plum Island, which is right in the center of this sort of outbreak, if you look at it like a giant bullseye that's been spreading and now it's going up into Maine and Canada. Um, it's, I think it's probable it could have come from there, but, and that's covered in Michael Carroll's Lab 257. My, my theory is that it came from the anti-human side of the biological weapons, which Willie was part of, and we released uh, like hundreds of thousands of ticks in army experiments that were made radioactive so we could trace how far they creeped, you know, supposedly so we knew that, you know, how far they could creep if we dumped them on enemies. And that was on the Atlantic Bird Flyway in 19, 
67, 68, and 69, and a year later, these creepy Lone Star ticks, which are really aggressive, they're like the terminators of ticks, they ended up on Long Island because they hitch rides on birds. And oh a bird my. can fly up the coast in just a couple days. So just to be clear, the, these were deliberately released or accidentally released? No, they were deliberately. So uh, this scientist, the Army paid him, and the Atomic Energy Commission, they paid him to like take a big couple acres, divide it into grids, release a thousand ticks in each grid, then go out every month with the Geiger counter and tell how far the ticks would spread. They would they would collect them in a square, mark it down, go back to the lab, see how many were the Geiger counter ticks. If they were big ticks, they would paint them with fluorescent paint, and then they'd put them back in the grid where they found them, and they'd go back month after month. And so they just released these ticks, and who knows what's in them? Because, you know, did he really check them for viruses or spotted fever? You know, and, and you know, so it's it told, that that kind of experiment would never be approved by safety boards today. <laughs> I guess not. And, and, you know, and then we were doing all these open-air aerosolized tests with bacterium that can be carried by ticks. So there was just hundreds of these kind of little experiments to, to determine what's the best mix for the best weapons portfolio, and there wasn't adequate safety. So it could be a multitude of army accidents or military accidents that caused the outbreak. It could be the aggressive ticks that came out, the spraying of live bacteria, and I document some of those uh, crazy experiments, and then it all ended up like a perfect storm. It could be coming from Plum Island, too, so it could be the perfect storm, and that's why we had these three freaky tick-borne diseases that showed up in 68. And now, it's like an American Chernobyl. When you release these insects and these bacterium in an area where they've never been before, they last a long time. They're like perfect stealth weapon. Right, right. And uh, we've got about two minutes here. I mean, do, do you have any hope that we will see Pentagon officials uh, uh, subpoenaed under oath testifying about the Pentagon's role in perhaps weaponizing t- ticks? Well, it's it's a wild card Congress, as you know. Mm. It. It has happened in the past in this 1977 Church report where they disclosed a lot of those things. You know, during that report, they disclosed our flea and and mosquito experiments. It is a little, hmm, that they never talked about the ticks until now. So maybe there's something there to hide. I don't know. Well, thank you so much for pushing the needle on this. uh, We all owe you a a debt of gratitude because uh, thanks to you in large measure, um, things might move forward. Uh, yeah, I hope. Again, the book is Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. Chris Newby, thank you so much for this. Thanks very much. Have All a right. good evening. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Owen Wolf, Ryan White, back next week. Again, Don Jeffries in my stead. Be sure to listen to that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.